You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Although there are many things going on in the world today, this is 9-11. So we're we're in remembrance of the country that we love standing against evil. We're in remembrance of our brothers and sisters and the kingdom of Britain at the loss of Queen Elizabeth, who was really a very staunch Christian. And so as we move forward in this day, what does the word say will help overcome evil? It's back in Revelations 12, 11, and I want to read that out loud and clear. Because the word brings victory. Amen? I'll borrow one of Matt's phrases. Amen? (laughs) All right, Revelations 12, verse 11. They overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. Now it goes on and says a little more, but I want to hang on to that word testimony today. Because that is what I'm going to do today. I'm not going to teach. I'm not going to preach. I'm going to give you a testimony of what God has done in my life these last three months. And many of you are aware that I have been sick and in and out of the hospital, etc., etc. But God has brought me back to a place of health and wholeness. And so... I want to share that with you today. I've been waiting for a time to publicly acclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. And this seemed like a good day to do it. So I'm titling the name of this talk, The Anatomy of a Testimony. And Anne or or Matt, will you throw up the one PowerPoint screen I have today? (laughs) Do you know what that is, guys? That's your liver. That big brown thing up in the corner is your liver. And that actually is the underside of the liver. And the little green ducts and the little green sac is the gallbladder. Then coming down the rest of the green, you see how the ducts come and empty into, see that C-like shape? It's kind of pink there under the liver. That is the duodenum or duodenum. You'll hear that pronounced both ways. That's the first section of the small intestines as it comes right out of the stomach. And then in the arms of the duodenum is the pancreas. And this is where all my trouble started. And I wanted you to get a good picture of what happened because if you're not a medical person, what I want to share isn't going to make much sense. But I want you to get a good picture. And this is up close and personal. You all have one of these. (laughs) I used to tell my anatomy students that. Anatomy is a wonderful subject. You have one. It's up close and personal. All right, so I'm going to just leave that on the screen, guys. In March of this year, I became suddenly, acutely, very ill. I woke up one morning ready to go to a prayer conference with Anne, and I was throwing up and in severe pain. I did not know what was going on. 
that was very ill. And I called Anne and said, well, I'm throwing up. I'm not going to make it this morning. You go without me. And she said, I'm not going without you. I'm, I'm coming down to get you. No, 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 you go on to the prayer conference. But she came down. And she took me to the hospital. And it turns out that I was really sick. What had happened was that a stone that had formed in the gallbladder had gone rogue and it made its way down through the rest of the green tubing and it came to rest in a sphincter which is a place that opens and closes in your body in the in the pink area the duodenum and because it lo it lodged there and stuck there the pancreas was very unhappy so unhappy that my lipase levels that's that's a secretion by the the uh, pancreas that helps with our digestion was higher the nurse told rick b was there with me uh, than, than any time they, they'd ever seen now i didn't know all this i was too sick and they were medicating me and all i knew was i was in grievous pain now i've had kidney stones and i've birthed two children i i understand pain but this was off the scale and so I laid in the hospital, that was a Saturday, I laid in the hospital about another day and a half before they were able to take me down to a procedure room and do what they call an ERCP. That means they take a scope and go down your throat and go down through the stomach to that area and they can visualize it. And then what they did was they took that rogue stone out and they propped open that sphincter. So... They sent me home the next day, and I entered into a dark place. I just, that was so traumatic and so sudden. And you know that I care for my husband in our home, so we had no preparation for that. It really ended up being quite a traumatic event for my family and I. Uh, sisters from the body came in, providing meals, helping me bathe, doing the dishes. I mean, all the stuff that a wife and a, and a woman does in a home. Our caregiver came in, our sons came in, and people rallied around us. The body of Christ. I, I can't emphasize that enough. The body of Christ rallied around us and lifted us up off the ground. So slowly but surely, although I was still in kind of a dark place, calling out to God, but not being sure where he was. Have any of you ever been in a place where it was dark and you weren't quite sure where God was? You knew he was there, but you didn't quite know where he was. And so about four weeks after this event, the doctors felt I had stabilized enough. They went back in and took out the stent and I kind of thought I was home free the next step then was to get that gallbladder out of there so it wouldn't dump any more stones out well for the first couple of days after that stent came out I was all right but then I started to go downhill again I started not being able to eat at all I started running a fever and for two two and a half weeks I laid in my home doing just that getting sicker and sicker People, again, were coming in to do meals, take care of Mike, and we didn't know what was wrong. My family doctor was in the process of retiring, so he has been my gatekeeper. He was kind of out of the picture. Uh, I was, you know, 
actually kind of uh, at the mercy of whoever was on call at the hospital. So uh, if it hadn't been for some of the saints here in the body who came and got me again and took me back to the hospital, I, I'm not sure what would have happened. At one point I said, Lord, am I dying? I didn't know. I didn't know. I felt so sick and nothing was happening to make me better. And so back to the hospital I went, went back here to the East Hospital. They, in, in the morning, they did all kinds of tests and things, couldn't find anything wrong. So they got ready to send me home in the afternoon and I just said, no, you can't send me home. I'm still as sick as I was when I came in this morning. Well, they didn't quite know what to do with that, but they decided to go ahead and run another pancreatic scan. And guess what? There was a huge cyst that had risen up from the pancreas up above covering the anterior surface, which means the front surface of the stomach. So it's no wonder I couldn't eat. And that cyst was full of yucky fluid and that was probably infected. And that was causing the fever. So once they found that, they said to me, okay, there's a doctor at the North Hospital who, who takes care of these kinds of cysts, and we're gonna send you up there. So at three o'clock in the morning, they transferred me up to the North Hospital. <laughs> but the doctor who was supposed to take care of that cyst wasn't there. He was gone for a while. And so I just laid there. Nobody really had any sense what was going on yet or what they were going to do with me, and I was still sick. So we prayed and prayed. The body was praying. My family was praying, and I was too sick to do much but lay in the bed. But I was in a wonderful hospital unit with very caring nurses and assistants, and I want to just give God glory that I was in good hands at that hospital. I had all kinds of IVs running. There were IV antibiotics. I mean, they were slamming my body with everything that they could at that time. On Wednesday, May the 3rd, God's hand began to move because he sent to us a doctor, and I've had his permission to use his name, Dr. Nathan Lee. He is a hepatobiliary, which means liver, gallbladder, and pancreas specialist. He's a surgeon. He came to my room, full mask, but his eyes were alight with the light of Christ and with a smile. And he sat down and he began to talk to me about what was going on. And you know those whiteboards that hang on the, on, on the door, on the walls now where they, they put your nurse, they put the date and that kind of thing. He, he took a, a, a dry erase marker and he drew a picture of my gut and told me what was going on and showed me the enormous cyst that was overlaying the pancreas. And he said, there is some consternation here between those of us who are now managing your case about what we're going to do about this. The, the, the best approach is to allow the walls of this cyst to toughen enough that we can anchor a stent into it. So they anchor the stent into the cyst coming off the pancreas and empty it into the duodenum and it would just process through the intestine. But the wall of the cyst was 
flimsy and they really couldn't put the stent in yet. And so they really didn't know what to do. So I was afraid they were gonna just send me home as sick as I was and let me wait it out. So they still had me on no foods and no fluids. So I was really, I was dropping weight. I was getting pretty thirsty. I wasn't hungry. And the doctor said, well, we'll this is Wednesday. We're going to try to do something by the end of the week. And so I thought, okay, okay. Things seem like they're headed in a direction. I really felt the presence and anointment of Dr. Lee. And, and that in, in and of itself set me to peace where I where had none. They started letting me have a little to drink. But in the middle of the night, my nurse came in. They were checking my vital signs and that kind of thing all the time drawing blood, doing all kinds of things that nurses do. And uh, she said, you know, we're going we're gonna to make you NPO again, which means nothing by mouth. Because it looks like maybe they are going to do a procedure Thursday tomorrow. I said, oh, great. So in the morning, the, one of the, doc the nurse practitioners came in and said, no, we're not going to do anything today. Oh, here we are. Here we go again. But and so I even texted my sister, don't hurry. It looks like they're not going to do anything today. But in about an hour, they came back in and said, quick, we're going to take you down to, for a procedure right now. So I texted my sister and I said, come, come. They're, they're going to do something to me now. I don't know what, but they're going to do something. Well, when I got down there, they emphasized that whatever was going to happen now was a, an interim procedure. It was not going to be... The, the end-all procedure. It was not going to bring the healing, but that it was going to get me through for a while until they could put the stent in. Well, they did that. They called it a needle aspiration. And what that means is that they pick, put a needle into the cyst. Oh, I hope I'm not grossing you guys out, am I? Okay, they put a needle into the cyst and they withdrew fluid. Now, usually when they do that on this big of a cyst, they don't get a whole lot out. It was thick, so it's hard to get out. But when I woke up, I felt better. And the doctors came in, the nurses came in. How do you feel? I, I feel better. I feel better. And so they began to order me some, some fluids, a little, a little beefed up fluids, full liquids, they call it. And I was able to have a little bit of supper that night. And I wanted to eat, and it didn't, I didn't throw it up. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I'm feeling better. So in the middle of the night, the nurse came in, said, we're going to put you on a regular diet. You eat what you can, and we'll let you build up your tolerance. I ordered a full breakfast. I had a, I had a, a, an egg burrito. What's that called? An omelet. Scott, I was waiting on you. I, I ordered an omelet. I had coffee. I was eating, and my doctors and nurses kept pouring in that morning. How are you? I am feeling fine. I am feeling fine. And so there was great celebration in the church and the, with the family and among my doctors and nurses. And that continued over the next few days. So it was in the hospital week. And my doctor came in and he said this to me, my surgeon said this to me that, that day before I left. And again, when I saw him a couple weeks later, we... None of us expected this dramatic of a 
response from that tiny little procedure, uh, it's a miracle. My own doctor said that. It's a miracle. And I went, yes, yes, praise be to God. It's a miracle. And I said to Dr. Lee, God put you in, our, in, in, in my, my world here, and he used you to bring healing to me. And uh, yeah, let's give him a hand, Dr. Dr. Nathan Lee. And praise be to God. Praise be to God. So uh, I recuperated at my sister's for a while because I knew I wasn't ready to go home and be a caretaker. So they made arrangements for Mike uh, to be cared for in our home. And I recuperated at my sister's for several days and then went back home. I continued to just get strength and strength started to drive a little bit and work up my stamina and I had another pancreatic scan on May the 23rd and again another miracle the cyst with a which they thought might fill up again was in fact decreased from what it had been even when I was in the hospital all the inflammation around and the swelling around the pancreas was gone there were other cysts that were also completely not dissolved yet but th th their fluid levels were really shrinking and so my doctor uh, on that day pulled up the old scan from May the 1st or the 2nd to May the 23rd and he I mean it was incredible as I looked at it there in his office what the Lord had done I mean, it was so clear what the Lord had done. And he looked at me again and he said, this is a miracle. And I said, yes, this is a miracle. And so I was well enough and stable enough that they felt we could go ahead with the removal of the gallbladder, which we did then in June. Amen. Hallelujah. What are some of the things that I learned through this? I kept waiting for kind of a, an inbreak of light and revelation. And that never really came. And I kept saying, Lord, what are you doing? And whatever it is you're doing, Lord, please be glorified in it. Be glorified. And so as I went back through my journals that I kept during that time, I was amazed to see how many things the Lord really had showed me during those weeks. I was sick when people, the body of Christ was praying. And I want to tell you that that is one thing the Lord really impacted upon my heart in those post-op weeks, that the prayers of the body of Christ availed much in my case. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your everything. Thank you. So I wanted to ask God, where were you in the midst of all of this? I couldn't see God's hand in the middle of all of that. But afterwards, I began to see what the Lord had done. I began to see his fingerprint. You know, we don't always see what God's doing in the moment, do we? 
we have to be willing to wait and to trust knowing that we will see the hand of God. We will see what he did and what he was doing. And I wanted God to be glorified in this. I didn't just want to be one more sick person who got well. But I wanted it to shout aloud of God, of Jesus Christ and his son. Jesus Christ, God's son. So here are the, some of the things that I felt that I, I, I learned and that I, I've become deeper in. And one of the first things was I had a new longing for the deeper things of God. No longer was I satisfied to just kind of coast, but I longed for the depth of God, what he was doing, what his purposes were, how he wanted to work that through me. I cried out for a, a deeper trust that even though I had no understanding, by faith, I could trust God. And another thing I felt, in fact, I want to read this, 531. Another thing I felt God really did show me that was, was fresh I wrote this uh, on May 31st. We must allow the processes of the circumstances to play out. Allowing the Lord's purposes to reach their full potential. His true goodness to be revealed. And then the completion of every good work begun. So if I had insisted on surgery instead of waiting... God's, the fullness of what he wanted to do might not have become apparent. He has such good plans for us. He is so sovereign, but he's so good in his sovereignness. But we have to give him that opportunity and then a new revelation, a new sense of what it means to wait on the Lord. Wait for his potential in the situation to be revealed to be made manifest and I don't think we've I don't think I've seen it all yet I, I think God has more to show me about all of this as we do this we gain a clearer perspective of God's hand and purposes and the good he has brought to bear through these circumstances. Now, that was a major thing that I felt God show me. And now, now that I wait on the Lord for other things, I feel that I've reached a new level of patience. Oh, God's doing something. That's right. So I'm going to be patient. And I've noticed that that's even played out as I've been taking care of Mike at home. That I've got a new level of patience with those things that assail him. Matthew 7, 8 says, every persistent one will get what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he longs for. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find that open door. The key 
is to not give up. Say that with me. Not give up. Pretend you're pounding on a desk. Not give up. That means you can, no matter how bad it is, you press on. And when you can't press on, your friends, your family, pray and press on. They pick you up. They throw you in a car and take you to the emergency room. <laughs> Not to give up is a key. But to hang in there. Polly's saying, yes, she knows that. Hang on to God. Cling to God. Cling to his robe. Let him drag you along in the dirt if it happens. But he doesn't do that. He carries us instead, doesn't he? Hang on to God. Sometimes it is only in hindsight that we begin to identify the fingerprint of God and also that we begin to appreciate the suffering of Christ. Now, did I hang on a cross? No. But there was suffering involved and that gave me a better sense of what my Savior went through. Trusting God to keep his word. What word did Jesus have? He had the Father's word that on the third day he'd be resurrected from the grave. Did that happen? Yes, it's true. It's history. We have the word of God too. And we have to hang on to that. We have to trust. We have to surrender to his way and not our own. That is so hard, guys, isn't it? When you think you see the way and you, you're just going to hop to it. But the thing is, we've got to seek the Father first. What is he up to? The sense of peace and rest in these weeks as I've been at home has been, I have to say, profound. So these, these, these things aren't new, but they're at a deeper level. So may this testimony stand. May this testimony stand to the glory of God the Father and his Son Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. May who all who hear this word be encouraged that they might truly know the goodness of a sovereign God. You know, we can't figure God out. I mean, he's, he's full of majesty. He's full of complexity. Uh, we don't want a small God. If we had a small God we could figure out, we wouldn't need him. We've got a huge God who's totally mysterious and complex. And yet, he teaches us along the way. He allows us a little bit of sight here, a little bit of sight there. And just think when we get to heaven, what a glorious day that will be. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.